You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 168. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Our Take segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We're back following a week in California at the LD Microcap Conference. From approximately 200 companies attending, we interviewed roughly 20 management teams. And I will highlight a couple of companies of interest, including Richardson Electronics, R-E-L-L on the NASDAQ, DocGo, symbol DCGO on the NASDAQ, and DMG Blockchain Solutions, symbol DMGI on the TSX Venture, as well as a couple of companies currently in coverage, including Geodrill, GEO on the TSX, Quipped Home Medical, QIPT on the TSX, and Acme United Corporation, ACU on the New York Stock Exchange that we happen to sit down with at the event as well. I will also look generally at the markets in light of the significant market correction, which borders on a crash in technology and risk assets. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, Brennan answers a listener question on Nutrien Limited, symbol NTR in the TSX, one of the world's largest producers and distributors of potash, nitrogen, and phosphate products. Brennan answers whether or not there is value in the business in the current volatile environment. Finally, Aaron answers a listener question on lockdown and work from home darling DocuSign Inc., symbol D-O-C-U on the NASDAQ, the world leader in digital signatures, which has seen its share price drop 64% year to date and over 80% from its highs in 2021. A listener asks if we are starting to see value in this battered tech name. So let's get to the show. Welcome, Aaron and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Interesting markets right now. I note the Dow plunged more than 700 points today. The Nasdaq getting hit very hard, fell 4% again today. S&P 500 erased now 2021 gains as recession fears mount. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's messy out there, particularly for the technology sector, which is just getting no reprieve at all um there is a little bit of a, a move up uh you know week ago but um it's really uh it's continuing to get hit hard and you know a lot of these companies it's 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 crazy to say but we're looking at companies that are down 60 70 80 percent and the valuations still look expensive in some cases in some cases the valuations are actually starting to look attractive for some very successful companies but you know in a lot of cases you're still looking at companies that are trading at you know, 50, 60, over 100 times earnings, and that's after a more than 60% decline. So that just shows you how, what the valuations were like um, at the peak and maybe how necessary it is that, you know, particularly in the technology space, there needed to be some pressure taken out of the bubble. But, you know, when you look at, when you talk about crashes, corrections, I mean, for much of the technology sector in the U.S., 
it's been a crash. You know, when your stock price Without is down eighty percent yeah, at this point, eighty yeah. percent over the last year, and and in some of these cases, speculative companies, in other cases, actually profitable, good businesses. But you know, that's 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 a crash. So you know, the question is, are you owning the right stocks? Um, this is a really a lesson to investors in terms of just you know following the herd and paying any price for something. In many cases, companies that weren't actually making any money, maybe they were generating a lot of revenue, the revenue growth was really exciting, but they weren't producing any cash flow or earnings on the bottom line. But trading at valuations, you know, 100, 100 times sales, I mean, 100 times earnings is expensive, but some of these companies trading at valuations of over 100 times sales and people buying it because you know, quarter after quarter, year after year, these stocks were performing but now in a matter of months you know years in some cases of returns just basically being wiped out yeah and it, and it may get worse before it gets better but we are right now aggressively looking at you know, over 400 names in the u.s to see if we can find some babies that got thrown out with the bathwater companies that we wanted to own for years that were just too expensive and you know, it really shows you when Aaron was talking about there, what we talked about at the start of the year, valuations and even into last year, all the way through 2021, really. Valuations appear again starting this year to matter once again. We talked about that starting to inch into the market. Our theory was that companies priced at premiums or quite frankly, in many cases, ridiculous valuations would suffer the most in 2022 if the market focused back on cash flow to value stocks. And that you know, with the fears of inflation, with the fears of a recession, that's what's happening right now. Uh, and you just look at um, some of the relative performance year to date of, you know, indexes. You can just look right now. I mean, the NASDAQ is down uh, over 33% year to date. Um, you know, Bitcoin is down like over 55, almost approaching 60% year to date. Um, you know, assets that are, you know, Bitcoin, very difficult to value, no cash flow. I can't value the business. So we've been talking about that and detailing that for a couple of years now. Um, but, you know, you look at is value mattering? Does it matter? Like are companies that actually had value at the start of this year, uh, even if they are hit, are they getting hit to a lesser extent to, to the companies that had sky high valuations? Well, I'll just pull up I mean, Aaron's going to talk about DocuSign and the declines that you've seen there. That is a company that certainly for us was priced at ridiculous premiums. Uh, you look at a company like Shopify, down 78% just year to date this year. Whereas Alphabet, which is a company that we've held for a number of years now, uh, while it's down, is down about 26%. And, you know, the entire market is down around 33% in the NASDAQ, so it's down less. So to me, that does indicate that while there is some indiscriminate selling and we're going to try to take advantage of it, there is some rationality to the selling in that the companies that are getting punished the most are the companies that were trading at just frankly ridiculous valuations. And, you know, that, you know, that, that'll be, I think, a theme that we'll be looking at today in the show. And we'll also look at um, going forward and trying to find some babies that get thrown out with the bathwater, like we said, really good companies that get sold off, you know, maybe 40%. 50% even that, you know, three to five years out, you'll really want to have at these levels in your portfolio and can be game changers once again in your portfolio. And there may be some really strong opportunities over the balance of this year. And that's what we're looking for right now. Uh, I don't know if you guys want to follow up any further on that. I've got, I just thought I'd go through the notes of kind of 
Yeah, one thing the that overview I overview of the Aldi Micro. One thing that I could add, uh, just in, in regards to the, the Bitcoin. Oh, running your hair! Here. I didn't even know your hair. Yeah, I know. I've been quiet over here, <laughs> uh, like usual. You know, I kind of let you guys run. Um, but yeah, so just going back to Bitcoin, like we have seen it, like Ryan said, down about fifty six percent year to date. And I just want to like push back on you know some of the people early in you know early twenty one in twenty twenty one they were saying that you know Bitcoin's this safe haven asset. Um, even in our twenty twenty one prediction show, I ended up saying that uh, or referencing that CoinDesk research claimed Bitcoin was now potentially a safe haven asset, uh, as they said that Bitcoin had about a 0.25 correlation. Uh, with the S&P 500 uh, during the last 90 days in 2020, well, that's completely reversed right now. I mean, looking right now as the market's been absolutely sliding, like let's just relate the uh, returns of gold versus Bitcoin. Like year to date, gold has done about 1.2% to the upside. Uh, Like I said, Bitcoin's down 56%. One year out, we're looking at gold up about 2%. Well, again, Bitcoin's down 46%. Now, of course, looking longer term, Bitcoin is still up 730%, while gold is only up about you know 47%, which is still huge. But again, it's you know, a lot of these talking heads online were saying, oh, you know, you gotta hold Bitcoin. It's a safe haven asset now. It is the digital gold. Well, not so much, I think, uh, as, as we're looking at it. And even in that prediction show, I did, you know, say my skepticism towards it, just towards, you know, the volatility of it, uh, you know, the actual use cases of Bitcoin. I know that, uh, you know, maybe that's a good um, segue where Ryan actually did or we talked to some Bitcoin companies, um, you know, down in California about the use cases. And I mean, there's use cases for gold, you know, in 20 between 2013 and 2017, 54% of all gold was, you know, actually used in jewelry. So, you know, there are use cases for it. Bitcoin, not so much. Um, Anyways, that's yeah, my two and, cents. And I asked, I posed the question, and their biggest issue, um, you know, and they talked about for just gaining, just gaining further acceptance and gaining further investors in any cryptos really is having a use case for these, uh, for the underlying technology uh, mm-hmm. of blockchain, essentially, and that's what they were talking about is necessary over the next two to five years. Uh, so, you know, those are coming straight from, you know, CEOs of companies who operate within that segment who live and breathe this every day. Um, for us, it's, you know, people ask, is now Bitcoin undervalued? Uh, you know, there's no underlying cash flow. It's just, and we like to keep it simple. It's just very hard for us to value uh, Bitcoin. And, and gold, for that matter, is, is difficult to value. To be honest, mm-hmm. so like you know, asking us is gold under or overvalued right now? But you know, we can give you, you know, we'll look at a couple individual companies today, and we know their cash flow, the way we know the dividends they pay, then we know if they're growing, if there's a growth outlook going forward, and we can give you a broader broad range of what we think the value of the company is based on their cash flow and their growth going forward. Uh, it, you know, assets where you. You, know, you like a Bitcoin or a gold, it's very difficult for us to value, and I think it's we've seen models on how investors try to value these assets um and for us you know it's 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 just very difficult and i i'm skeptical whether any of them would work with any degree of success over the long term just on the topic of valuing something like gold i mean by the way that we value 
investments, as Ryan said, we're valuing them based off the cash flow that these productive businesses produce. So something like gold, you, there is no cash flow, there is no yeah. business, there is no innovation, nothing. So it's really just a shiny metal. But Warren Buffett, this was years ago, I read in one of his annual meetings, um, he talked about gold and did his own style of valuation. So essentially, he, he did a calculation. He figured if you took all the gold in the world, um, I might be a little off in the numbers, but you'd basically get a cube, you know, the size of a couple football fields long, right? And he figured out like what the value of that cube would be. Yeah, and it might even um, be smaller than that. I've heard. Yeah, that it, it could have. Maybe it was one football field. It, this was years ago that I read this, right? But he figured out the value of that shiny cube, and he's, you know, there's not really much else to it. It's a nice yellow piece of metal, big piece of metal, and it doesn't really do anything else for you. So he compared that to what you could buy for the combined value at that mark at the market price of that time for that cube. And he figured out it was essentially all of the farmland in the United States, plus um, five, I believe five of the top uh, most profitable companies in the world, the largest companies in the world, and then with a whack load of other assets and cash left over after that. So he said, you know, from his perspective, would I rather this big yellow cube that doesn't do anything for me or all of these other productive cash flow producing assets? And for, for us, it's it's really not even it's really not even discussion. We would want the productive assets that we understand that are actually vital for the survival of the human race and the progress of the human race. I mean that's 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 an investment. Yeah, so I, I got the exact quote here. If you molded all the gold in the world into a cube, Buffett said it would be about 68 feet per side. This is four feet shorter and considerably wider than a tennis court. So it's crazy. And it would fit in the middle infield of a baseball infield, oh, essentially, wow. right? And, you know, and, and that was a, a, a while back, right? But, and then. He talked about then like what you could buy with all that, and it was it was unbelievable, right? Like he said, you'd be sitting on at that point ten trillion. Observe that buying the cube, you could buy instead of you could buy all the crop land in America worth four hundred billion at that time, sixteen Exxon Mobiles, and you'd still have one trillion of walking around money. Sure, yeah, it's I mean it's a great analogy to use. Like, which would you rather have? Uh, You know, I don't know. But, I mean, and then you you, can you reduce that down to every money. unit of your own capital, every dollar of your own capital. I mean, if you're like, what are you voting for? Productive assets or something that's just re- depends on the psychological value that people assign to it. Yeah. No, and agree. gold during a time that you would think it would have been a great place to be has actually not been a great yeah. place to be. Relative to Bitcoin, though. In relative year. to Bitcoin, yeah. <laughs> but do we even put it relative to it? it it's, it's a discussion that could go on for another event, uh, time, I think. Now, mm-hmm. I'm going to look at it, my quick review, um, mine and Brennan's from uh, being at the LD Micro. My notes would be, number one, I'm going to say travel today sucks. Yeah. You know, I'm going to say Brennan missed the first day of the conference due to flight delays, and my two-hour and 50-minute flight home turned into an eight, nine-hour uh, adventure at the LAX airport. So staffing issues at the airlines and airports continue. So what I would say is if you're planning trips this summer, have fun flying because it, it's, uh, we did about three trips, research trips over the last two months. No, I don't think one of the flights didn't have some kind of delay, baggage delays. And, you know, sometimes it's first world problems, but they, uh, you know, they were, 
It's it's it. The airports just aren't ready for the travelers, and the airlines let off too many people. It's yeah, exactly. If you need a layover, make sure you at least plan for three hours. I know we talked to another individual down there. Plan for three hours. My layover was only an hour. That's why I missed the first day of the conference. Anyways, continue, Ryan. And we hold it against you, not the airline. Correct. (laughs) Of course, when you do that, your connection is then going to be delayed three hours. So it's yeah. 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 Of course it will be. Three hours and ten minutes and you're done. <laughs> now, the, I'm going to look at companies of note. We interviewed al- almost 20 companies down there. Um, one, it was Richardson Electronics Inc., symbol R-E-L-L on the NASDAQ. Uh, the numbers from this company, they actually announced them the day of you know the event starting. Uh, fourth quarter sales preliminary were up around you know should be up between you know around 20 percent to around 61 million um growth is coming and that's from the prior year's fourth quarter strong end market demand and successful new product expansion initiatives they announced their fourth quarter backlog was up to 206 million uh from 175 million at the end of the third quarter and Year over year, last year this time the backlog was 110 million. This time it was 206 million. So strong, strong backlog growth there. So it's an interesting business with solid growth and valuations. They look reasonable. It pays a dividend. Uh, would likely be vulnerable in a recession. So we do have concerns that the record backlog may include some safety stock buying from end customers given the current supply chain issues. But it does lurk industry. In or interesting, the company reminded me a bit of Hammond Power, uh, a company that we have under coverage now, in that it is in the electrical industry to a degree. It's been around for 70 plus years. Hammond's been around for over 100. And the current CEO, Edward Richardson, bears the company name having had the business passed on through his father, as is the same case with Bill Hammond of Hammond Power. So Richardson, for me, does appear to be a bit more of an innovative company. So it is a company in this segment to take, uh, you know, it trades at reasonable valuations and we're continuing to do our due diligence on the company. The next company I would note is DocGo, symbol DCGO on the NASDAQ, operates in the medical transport and mobile health end markets, provides scheduling or scheduled ambulance rides and last mile mobile in-home healthcare. So the company is generating solid cash flow. Uh, as at the coming quarter, should have approximately $200 million in cash on the balance sheet with no debt, basically. Uh, access to about $150 million line of credit. So good balance sheet to start. Total revenue in the first quarter was $118 million. Now, about $38 million related to COVID testing. That's going to run off over time. But the company was profitable, $9.6 million compared to, or $9.4 million compared to a loss of $2 million in the first quarter the previous year. So some of the issues that the company faces, COVID revenues in the first half of the year should be in the range of $58 million. Now it's expected those revenues will go to zero in the second half. So the company must grow non-COVID revenue, which it is growing at a strong clip about 10 million sequentially in both Q3 and Q4 to achieve the midpoint of its guidance, which is for solid growth overall this year. So uh, it, it does appear that, you know, they're on track to do that. It's profitable, good balance sheet, has sold off. Uh, we're looking closer at it right now. And, uh, you know, it does seem to, as they are promising to grow margins 
if they can uptick the margin profile and grow revenue and, you know, get away from those COVID revenues, uh, which, you know, looks like they are, you know, it's interesting and it's, you know, definitely profitable, not on an adjusted basis, profitable just on a gap income basis. So an interesting company. Finally, I would note DMG Blockchain Solutions, DMGI and the TSX Venture. It's a vertically integrated blockchain and cryptocurrency technology company. Basic business that makes its money is as a crypto miner. It mines Bitcoin. Uh, Q3 or two revenues for this year up 377% to almost 12 million. Earnings per share were three cents in the quarter, up from a loss of one cent. So a strong balance sheet here too as well. Net cash position. You know, they trade at under 30 cents. Uh, they're profitable, like we said, but they're tied significantly sentiment sentiment wise with Bitcoin and crypto generally. If you see a crypto winter, uh, they could still be, mar you know, profitable. They won't be as profitable as they were in the last quarter. But, you know, it, the sentiment in the sector won't be behind a high multiple on it. But if you were favorable on that sector segment long term and Bitcoin specifically, it is a company to keep an eye on in that segment. We also uh, talked to Geodrill, Quipped, and Acme United, like we said. Um, Bo, all from our current coverage that we're out there, sat down with management teams. The first two, Geo and Quipped, reported a robust business as we've detailed the clients. Um, and United faces good business, good growth, but costs are increasing. The company expects uh, margins to return to normal by year end. Interesting, we talked about all those losses in the market year-to-date. I just did a year-to-date quickly on those three companies. Geodrill is actually up 11.1%. Quipped uh, being the laggard of that three is down 16%. Well, Acme is just down around 7%. So you put that you know, next to Shopify, which is well-known, but is down you know, and had tremendous revenue growth but doesn't have the underlying cash flow or price to cash flow multiples that those three business does. It was down 78% year to date. You know, the average of these companies are probably down around 5% and one of them was actually up in a terrible market. So really small caps, which are all those three are, should be more volatile and should be subject to more volatility than the general market, particularly in these times. Um, so when the market is down, say, 30%, in theory, the higher risk profile generally of these type of companies, smaller companies, they should be down 40 plus percent. In the case of these three, um, you know, their cash flow has likely held them into the positions that they're relatively trading at, at the start of the year. So it reinforces the fact that what we talked about in a market focused on value and growth, um, businesses like this can do better uh, on a relative basis. So we, I would say we're going to expect further volatility and weakness in many tech names that were bid to unrealistic valuations through 2021. But this is where, like we said, huge opportunities will emerge. This is why we are authoring a special report on the crash in U.S. tech, what to avoid and what to start buying. And we'll release that shortly. So uh, hopefully we can come up with some new buy recommendations. We may just put our toe into some companies we want to own for the next three to five years, buy 25%, 50% positions in those companies to start. But there are some good businesses that will be sold off in sympathy that may come into a range where we, you know, want to own them today, but really specifically want to own them, you know, want to look back and say we took advantage of a period of fear 
and uh, bought them. When we look back five years from now, we're happy we bought them at, at, at whether it's today's levels or by the end of the year, we, we you know we'll see some value in the market, which would be nice with growth. And I think when you're looking at a market right now where there's so much negative momentum and share prices, you, you don't feel as an investor in a lot of cases, there's not really a need to become fully invested with all your available capital right away. Just take a gradual approach, just set you know a certain amount per month even that you're that you're allocating to your investments, buying stocks. Um, and that that's, could be the same on an individual company. I mean, you may see a company that you like, the numbers start to look good, the outlook long-term looks good. You may want to start with just a quarter position, maybe a half position, and then over the next several months or a couple of quarters, you just continue to fill and then work your way up to a full position from there. Uh, with a lot of these companies, there isn't really a sign right now that the negative momentum is over. For many of them, you know, there's probably a lot of downside let yet to come. It's really difficult to get in exactly at the bottom. So one way to, you know, limit your risk while also getting uh, invested in some some interesting names is just by starting with a smaller position and gradually increasing it over time. Yeah, and I agree. And the and the great thing about I think this report we're coming out with is you you can see like we're covering like 50 of the biggest software and SaaS companies, companies that are great. A lot of, many of them are great businesses, but they were trading at unrealistic valuations. There is a few of them that are coming into more reasonable ranges. And we'll be looking at those on a comparative basis relative to each other. You know, where is the value in these names? Like where, you know, now we'll answer the question after Shopify being down 85, 90, almost 90% at some point from its highs, you know, is it finally a value? You know, is DocuSign a value? Is Square, is Splunk, Smartsheet, Coupa, Zscaler, Palantir, Autodesk, ServiceNow, all these companies that hit dizzying levels, but now have come down many of them 50% plus, which ones because again, many are businesses that we all use or many use and we see tremendous growth in them. But what is the valuation that you should be paying for these? There's only a few of them that we've owned. Uh, we think we'll add some more over the course of this year. And I think it will be a great opportunity. Again, when you look back you know, five years from today, you're positioning your portfolio today from where that portfolio should be in five years. Okay, now let's answer a couple questions here. Uh, the first one, Brennan, you got asked a question on Nutrient. It's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. Uh, Nutrient, sorry. Um, NTR and the TSX. And yeah. let's let you answer that. And that's a Saskatchewan-based yes. company, is it not, Brennan? Ooh, it yeah. is Saskatchewan-based. Right. I got to we told everybody... I made a point to tell everybody we're interviewing down there that uh, Brennan is from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Many of them just, first of all, they can't even say it. Second of all, uh, they're like, that's a made up place. That doesn't. Yeah, no, let's be honest. This is, this is how it actually went. We would sit down. Ryan would say, I'm from Vancouver. And he'd look over at me and be like, 
my colleague over here, Brennan, is from Saskatoon, and then he'd ask, "Do you know where that is?" <laughs> That's usually how it went, and uh, yeah. they usually didn't know. In where between it was. there, Brennan Stream. would fall out of his chair and then have to go back up. <laughs> no, no, but it, it was funny, and uh, yeah, um, I'm proud of being from Saskatchewan, so you know, I, I rolled with it. I rolled with it, uh, and I'm I'm glad. And to, should, uh, should we t- tell people that we we went to a movie together? We was, we, was, <laughs> we did go to Top Gun. Um, it it was pretty good. Uh, Every one should go to uh to the top gun um i have actually brennan, seen the brennan first enjoyed gun, the so. scene where they were um playing football uh, on <laughs> brennan yes. really enjoyed that scene. yep favorite scene okay i'll leave so, it at that yes okay. let's get into nutrient here so this question came in from ryan and he says just wondering if you could take a look at nutrient or saskatchewan potash with the rise in fertilizer costs and potential for food shortages coming up i understand that they are commodity driven but do they offer value beyond that risk so let's take a look nutrient limited ntr on the tsx currently trading at a price of about 111 dollars per share has a market cap of about 61 billion and they do pay a nice dividend yield or a little dividend yield of about 2.2 percent so nutrient is the world's largest provider of crop inputs and services playing a critical role in helping growers increase food production in a sustainable manner Uh, They produce and distribute approximately 27 million tons of potash, nitrogen, and phosphate products worldwide, with potash and nitrogen being the primary parts of their business. So a few key points here. Uh, Looking at their potash, or just potash in general, the production by country in 2021, Canada made up about 30% of all potash production worldwide, with Russia coming in second at 20%, Belarus third at 17%, China at 13%, Germany at 5%, and then a few others uh, below. So as you can see, Belarus and Russia made up about 37% of the overall potash market in 2021. And with the European Union and U.S. sanctions on Belarus, supply constraints have led to an increase in potash prices by over 100 or by about 188% increase over the last year and resulted in Nutrien announcing that it would accelerate the ramp up of its annual potash production capability to 18 million tons by 2025 in response to the uncertainty of supply from Eastern Europe. And this represents an increase of more than 5 million tons or about 40% compared to production in 2020. Now looking at their nitrogen uh, division, Nutrien did say that they're advancing previously announced brownfield expansion projects that are expected to add approximately 500,000 tons of capacity by the end of 2025. They also said that they're evaluating the potential for additional low-cost brownfield expansion and emissions reduction projects with a final investment decision expected over the next 12 months. Um, And longer-term targets, they indicate that uh, Nutrient's annual nitrogen sales volumes could increase to approximately 13.5 million tons by 2027 through the completion of those brownfield projects uh, and some other projects that are under evaluation. Now, Looking at the supply and just the overall macroeconomic and tightening of supply and demand picture with the war in Ukraine, um, I did read the uh, the conference call um, and Nutrient CEO said that we are watching the impacts that sanctions are having first on Belarus and Russia. And while potash itself is not sanctioned in Russia, certainly the enabling activities for exports of anything out of Russia at the moment are challenged, whether it's 
banking or shipping or insurance and so on. So we're looking at duration and how might long uh, this impact uh, happen. And they are believing that it will uh, continue beyond 2022 and they are increasing their own capabilities accordingly. Um, there's also you know, another uh, good comment by their chief economic strategist, which is pretty long and goes more into detail, but if, if you wanna look at this, you can just go to um, you know, our show notes and, and read that for yourself. Um, but overall, the gist is they, they do believe that there is uh, you know, a good chance that the market, these market dynamics will continue beyond 2022. Now, looking at some recent financial results for Q1 of 2022, these are all in US dollars. Revenue came in at $7.7 billion, an increase of 64% over the previous year. Adjusted EPS was up substantially to $2.70 per share compared to just $0.29 cents per share. Adjusted EBITDA was $2.6 billion, up 224%. And the balance sheet had about $577 million in cash, and leases and debt were $12.3 billion, providing net debt of about 11.7 billion. So financially, they are firing on all cylinders right now with the increase in fertilizer prices. Now, looking forward to the full year of fiscal 2022, they provided guidance with adjusted EPS for the full year coming in at $17.45 per share, which is would be up 180% from last year, and adjusted EBITDA for the full year of 15.5 billion, uh, up from about 7.1 billion or about 120% from last year. And potash sales and nitrogen sales are looking to increase by about 8.8% and 1.9% respectively uh, on their tonnage. And looking at the valuation here with this guidance, uh, they are trading with a forward price to adjusted earnings of about five times and forward enterprise value to adjusted EBITDA multiple about 3.9 times. So, you know, decent valuations, but of course, keeping in mind that, uh, you know, fertilizer prices have been increased quite substantially. Now, to, con to answer Ryan's question as to whether the company offers value beyond its commodity risk, I believe that fundamentally the business looks strong right now has solid growth projected throughout 2022 and has long-term targets for its potash division, growing its annual sales to 18 million tons by 2025, which is 32% growth over 2021, and in its nitrogen division, growing total sales to about 13.5 million tons by 2027, which would be about 26% growth over 2021. So the path for growth is there, and the company believes that the tight supply demand picture remains strong throughout 2022 and potentially beyond 2022. Um, so essentially, if one believes Nutrien's management is right and that the supply-demand picture will remain tight for the next few years, elevating fertilizer prices, I believe there is a reasonable case to be made that the company could offer value over the next two to five years. But again, even like uh, you know Ryan uh, did indicate in his question or his questioning, you know, just does the value uh you know is there value beyond the commodity uh, based risk i would say potentially but again if all of a sudden potash or fertilizer prices come down we will likely see the stock come down as well yeah good breakdown i mean that and that is one of the things we will look at because we get asked a lot about 
commodity uh, commodity focused businesses, like say, for instance, in maybe in mining, like a gold mining company or an oil and gas producer or or a fertilizer company. And one of the things that we will look at if you're in a period of increasing commodity prices is are the are the financials benefiting just because the commodity price has gone up, or is this a company that is expanding their production as well um, to to further take advantage of that? So that that's certainly something that we would look at as well. Balance sheet is another very important factor, particularly with commodity focused businesses, uh, because if you have a lot of debt to service, you're more you're you're more uh, exposed to the risks of commodity prices falling but i did notice taking a look at nutrient just at the share price here um big move up in the share price in february when the ukraine war started but it's the the stock is down about 20 percent after hitting its highs in april so is this an opportunity well the 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 analysts right now on the consensus estimates they they're expecting earnings to almost triple in the current year um, from about six dollars to seventeen dollars per share, but then decline going into next year. I mean, and ultimately, that's really just nobody knows what the commodity price is going to be exactly in 2023. But even based on 2023 analyst consensus estimates, the valuation looks reasonably attractive. You bet. And if anyone is interested, um, I would suggest you know they go and, and do read the show notes um, and just like the uh, comment from the economic strategist because he you know kind of delves more into you know actually what's coming out of Russia in regards to the amount of tons and what they think is going to uh, you know be decreasing in 2022 as well as Belarus. Um, so if you are more interested, I would say go read that quote. It is a long one, um, or just read their conference call in general. Yeah, I think the key risk, I mean, there's a number of risks there that Brennan went over, but if we do see, you know, record cash flow, record earnings this year, but if there's a decline, the market doesn't like, you know, a, a noted decline in the coming year because, you know, then it's really hard to put a multiple on the stock if you're looking, even if it is trading at low multiples, if there's a decline of 20, 15, 10, any type of decline and there's no growth. You know, the market likes to buy growth going forward. And that is often why commodity prices can't or companies can trade at really low valuations. They often trade at the lowest valuations when it's the best uh, time in the sector, when there's the most profitability, because eventually the market knows it's going to fall off. And then, you know, that's why you can't pay 20 or 30 times cash flow for a business like that. You're paying five or six times because, you know, cash flow is uneven over the long term and often can go negative in some of those businesses. So let's move on to the next company. I think there's a good synopsis on Nutrien. It's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. Uh, DocuSign, uh, Aaron, I mean, you got a lot to say about this company. We'll just let you get into it. I do. Let's dive into it. DocuSign Inc. The symbol is DOCU on the NASDAQ. It's trading right now for about $56, a market capitalization or market value of $11 billion. What they are, DocuSign provides a cloud-based software that allows users to review and sign documents, legal documents, remotely. Uh, I've used the service many times myself. I find it to be very easy to use, very convenient, very useful. 
And the company was founded in 2003 and it just went public a couple of years ago in 2018. So the share price of DocuSign has been crushed lately along with the rest of the technology sector. Price is down over 30% over the last five trading days, down 80% over the past 12 months. And if you look at where the company IPO'd, it IPO'd at about $45 per share back in 2018. So at 56, we're, we're actually almost back down to the original IPO price years ago. Um, at its highs, the company was trading at $300 um, only less than a year ago. So this, is, this was one of those highly visible, widely touted, high growth, high valuation software stocks. It performed extremely well during the pandemic as everybody was locked down. Business was being conducted online, so its its technology was extremely useful. Um, as I said, I, I've used the service personally many times. Um, but like so many of those once beloved software stocks, the company's share price has crashed. And this is really a crash. I mean, down 80% in, in, in a year. So the question that I really want to answer here is, is, in spite of the crash, crash aside in the stock price, how is the company performing financially? What's the outlook? And does it now offer good value here after declining 80%? So taking a look just at the recent financial results, uh, the company put out its first quarter results in May. Revenue is up 25% to $588 million. Non-GAAP earnings per share declined 14%. Free cash flow was up 42% to $174 million. And the company ended the first quarter with $967 million in cash, $872 million in debt. So it does have a small net cash balance, uh, healthy balance sheet. Looking forward, the company has provided guidance for the current fiscal year. Uh, they're expecting total revenue between uh, 2.47 to 2.48 billion. So that would be 21% growth at the midpoint for revenue year over year in the current year. Uh, Non-GAAP operating income is expected to be about 395 to 446 million for the year. And this would, this would put that about flat uh, profitability based on non-GAAP operating income flat year over year. Looking at analyst estimates, analyst consensus for earnings in the current year is $1.74. So this would be down 12% from last year when they reported, the company reported $1.98 in earnings. Analysts also, ex also expect growth to resume next year with earnings per share of just under $2, which would be an increase of 14%. So currently DocuSign trades at about 23 times trailing free cash flow. So free cash flow that they've reported over the past 12 months, which is 496 million. And the company trades at 28 times the analyst consensus earnings per share estimates for next year. When you compare this with the company's valuation a year ago, it was trading at 250 times trailing free cash flow. So this is when the market value of the company was 56 billion as opposed to $11 billion per Per today. So huge change in the valuation. It's uh, the price to cash flow valuation today is about a tenth of what it was a year ago. Company still remains profitable based on reported earnings. Revenue is expected to continue to grow. It has a great brand, a useful product and service, uh, a healthy balance sheet with some net cash. So what is the issue with DocuSign? What should we do going forward? Um, is this an opportunity to buy a, a an innovative software as a service technology company at a highly discounted price? I wish I could say yes. 
unfortunately, I'm going to have to say that the jury is still out. So one thing that I would certainly do with a company like DocuSign, what I would like to do is break apart the business, the competitive landscape, uh, their market share, how the market share is growing. But I'm going to leave that analysis for now. Uh, and the reason for that is because I want to focus on another part of the company, and that's the company's stock-based compensation expense. So stock-based compensation, this is a major issue in the technology space. It's essentially when you're paying your employees and your executives with stock options as opposed to cash. So a portion of the compensation comes in the form of stock, stock options. This is something that companies like to do because on one hand, it aligns employees with the future success of the company, um, but also it's not a cash outflow when you, when you make that, when you provide the stock options. It's only a cash outflow when those options are exercised. So it's, um, it's easy to essentially overinflate your earnings per share, your cash flow, your free cash flow by using a lot of stock-based compensation expense. And there's no other segment of the market where this is more of an issue than in the software space. I mean, software companies use stock-based compensation as a major component of their, their overall employee and executive compensation. So this is a really complicated issue. I think that it de deserves multiple segments of its own to really discuss properly. And I think that this is something that I think that we should discuss more deeply, but it's it's just for our discussion here, it's a thematic issue that I think all technology technology investors do need to understand at a, at a fairly basic level. So in some cases, uh, the the, payment of stock-based compensation doesn't really overstate earnings that much. But in other cases, for some companies, it, it, the overstatement can be substantial. And I think that that is the case with DocuSign. So just to give you an example, in 2021, DocuSign's stock-based compensation expense was over $400 million. Now, this was about equal to its non-GAAP earnings um, and about 80% of its reported free cash flow. But what's important to understand is with stock-based compensation, because it's not an actual cash expense, it's typically adjusted out of non-GAAP or adjusted earnings per share. It's not considered um, in the free cash flow calculation because it doesn't go through the operating section of the cash flow statement. So really what you have is you have companies using this as a form of compensation, um, but then not recording it as an expense. And this is a very controversial issue, but all technology companies essentially do this. So as an analyst, you need to be aware of how much of an adjustment is being made for this type of, of expense and whether or not you need to readjust this back in. So if you factor in the stock-based compensation for DocuSign, and this is something that many people, including Warren Buffett, think that you need to do, this essentially brings their, their non-GAAP earnings per share from a strong profitability down to essentially break-even. Uh, and it brings their, their free cash flow over the past 12 months from just under 500 million to just under 100 million. So a significant difference that we're seeing here. It uh, brings the free cash flow multiple from 23 times to about 100 times. So all of a sudden, it doesn't look quite as cheap as what we thought. And of course, imagine how expensive this company was a year ago when it traded at 250 times the company's re reported free cash flow. So as I said, this is a very complicated issue. Um, there are ways to identify what the actual cash impact is. 
making additional adjustments. But in the case of DocuSign, it's a major issue that really needs to be investigated further. Now, because the share price is down so much over the last year, this may not be an issue for the company because people, their options won't be in the money. People won't be vesting um, over, you know, until the share price recovers. But it could also create a problem for DocuSign where some of their employees, and this is going to be an issue across the technology sector, some of their employees may get the feeling that they're undercompensated because their stock options aren't worth much and are so far out of the money now. Um, and they may demand more of their compensation in the future to come in the form of actual cash, which of course is expensed both through cash flow and um, and uh, on the income statement. So, you know, DocuSign, I think it's really interesting. The fact that it's well below pre-pandemic levels, almost back to its IPO price, in spite of continuing to grow its revenue um, and ha having such a great brand, I think that there's, there's an argument to be made that it's an interesting company. But rather than just assuming because it's it's pulled back so much that it now must be good value, I think you also we also have to consider that even pre-pandemic, this company was trading at a extremely high valuation. And once we make adjustments, it may still be trading at a relatively high valuation today. Yeah, I think it's a really good summary that you provided there. Um, and it, it's shocking to see in many of these companies, I mean, with the massive destruction of capital there, the massive decline in the share price, that it's still 28 times. And when you factor in the stock-based compensation, you know, it could be significantly higher than that. Um, you know, the questions would be too, uh, what is the pace of revenue or cash flow growth going forward? If I look at, you know, adjusted earnings estimates for from 2023 to 2024. Now, to me, given the landscape, those are just guesstimates, but it's about 14% growth rate there. Well, at 28 times, you know, it's, it's still not cheap. Like it's, 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 even though you'd think, oh, it has to be cheap at this point, you know, it's a quality business here, but you know, is it trading at, you know, historic discount levels? It doesn't look like it at this stage. The other factors would be competitors. Um, you know, I would note that Adobe has a DocuSign or a digital signature type product that is well thought of as well. And Adobe is certainly a larger name, has more free cash flow to use at its disposal to forward that product. And there are other, there are other many other signatures. Box Inc., a company we're looking at, has a digital signature product as well. So, you know, there's a number of, there's PandaDoc and HelloSign. There's a number of competitors. Now, every business has competitors. It's not the only reason, you know, DocuSign is a leader in this segment, but you know, when you have a company like Adobe uh, with a good foot in the door as well, um, you know, it is something to watch as well in terms of what their growth rate can be going forward and how high are the switching costs to another sig digital signature company. I'm not certain on that, but that would be something to investigate if you're looking at the company as well. So I think that ends our show. Any further comments, guys? No, I think that's good. We, we discussed a lot. Yeah, we went through a lot. Yeah, I think that should be good. Uh, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll continue to take your questions. Keep those questions coming in for our Your Stock, Our Take. If you want us to compare a couple companies in like industries, compare, uh, debate one company, let us know. We'll do that on an upcoming podcast. Keep rating and reviewing us on iTunes. 
and uh, we'll continue to provide this content on a weekly basis. I look forward to speaking with you next week. And uh, as always, I wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Profitable investing. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.